welcome back to episode six of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. At Deakin University, every single course is backed by industry experts. This means you can be confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Today, I'm joined by Christian Welch, who is a professional rugby league footballer. Christian plays as a prop for the Melbourne Storm in the NRL and also represents Queensland in state of origin. Away from the field, he is currently studying an MBA and has a fascinating view on a whole range of topics. Here's my chat with Christian. Welcome, Christian. Thank you for joining Finding Your Fearless. How are you going? Great, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be on. Uh, Where in Australia do I find you at the moment? Uh, I'm actually based at the Gold Coast, yeah, we're uh, in preparation for Game 3 of State of Origin, so uh, they've just moved it, actually, it was meant to be in Newcastle, but they've just brought it to the Gold Coast, all the COVID stuff happening, so that's on Wednesday. Yeah, there does seem to be an ever-changing schedule for all of us as athletes at the moment. I am actually a New South Wales woman by birth. I actually uh, was born just across the border border in Corowa, even though I've lived in Victoria for the majority of my life. So when it comes to state of origin, I'm like, oh, I've got a small vested interest. However, I know there are lots of Storm boys that play for Queensland. So my heart's really torn when it comes to supporting an origin team. No, that's all right. Everyone has to have a bit of a flaw. <laughs> well, um, I know Queensland have had a pretty – um, successful history <laughs> in origin and this tour may not be going your way. I know you've got a new coach, but maybe you can just talk about what the experience has been this time around because this is your second or third origin series. Uh, this is my third series I've been a part of. And nice. Yeah, we kind of had a bit of a, um, a dream run last year in the COVID bubble. Uh, our corner's kind of the worst team in 40 years and, and we ended up winning that series, but then uh, yeah, we've been very humbled this year. We've been flogged basically in the first two games, which have been in Queensland as well. So, um, yeah, it's hard, I suppose, if you're a Victorian listening to this or um, you're not really into rugby league. Uh, but it, it's a really passionate thing um, in Queensland and New South Wales. And, yeah, it feels feels good when you're winning. But, yeah, it's really tough when you lose because you, you feel like you're letting down so many people uh, you know, particularly from Queensland and young kids who, you know, stay up with their parents on a Wednesday night, throw the maroon gear on and, and really whip you home. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a tough year for us. But, um, yeah, hopefully we can restore a bit of pride in, in Game 3. I definitely think that Game 3 is going to be a Queensland win, but you're a Queensland boy at heart. You grew up all across regional Queensland. Um Whereabouts did you end up settling when you, I guess, started to play rugby? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Townsville, North Queensland, and then um, did some time in Central Queensland and Gladstone, and then got to Brisbane in grade nine. And um, I only started playing rugby league when I was 13. I actually played a lot of hockey as a young fella and, and cricket, and um, yeah, and then uh, started playing rugby league in, in, I think I was in grade eight, and then went to a a school that didn't even play rugby league in Brisbane, so played rugby union and just just loved a variety of team sports, basically. But, um, yeah, got to Brisbane grade nine, so that, that's where home is for me, I guess. I've always been a team sport kind of person too, although I did like playing tennis, but that was definitely in the doubles. But hockey, I know it's really popular in Queensland. I've got two older brothers and they both played hockey 
down here in Victoria and I always just thought it was a bit of an odd choice considering they're even taller than I am and I'm over six foot. It's not really oh, yeah. um, for tall people, is it, kind of bend low um, <laughs> all the time, right? Yeah, you got to get – well, if you're playing on the AstroTurf, but, you know, I was from regional Queensland, we played on grass, so it wasn't uh, too much of a disadvantage. But, yeah, hockey's a great sport. I just think any team sport as a young person coming through, it just teaches you so much. Yeah, I think growing up in regional community sport is sort of the lifeblood of that. I had Darcy Vessio in a couple of weeks and she's from, uh, you know, Eastern Victoria like I am. And we, you know, obviously AFL is a big deal and netball in regional communities. Did you find that, I guess, moving around a little bit, you know, being able to join a team and make friends that way, it's a pretty important part of your childhood. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think local sporting clubs play such a big part in the community. I think, um, you know, like respect, inclusiveness, it doesn't matter where you're from, what colour skin you have, everyone comes together and I think it teaches you some really good life lessons. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for team sport and particularly in you know, rural parts of Australia, it's, it's so important and it's really clever. I think, you know, I see AFL and netball how they've really married up and, uh, you know, I've gone out to a few of those communities and it's really strong. Um, you know, with the boys and girls both participating in sport there on weekends. So you went to school in Brisbane and then you moved to the Big Smoke, Melbourne, uh, to pursue a professional rugby career. Talk to me about, I guess, finishing school and sort of that in-between period before deciding to make the move down south. Yeah, so I kind of always aspired to be become, I suppose, a professional footy player. But, um, yeah, I tried making it in rugby union but didn't, really make it. I didn't get picked up or anything and then finished grade 12 and went to university in Brisbane and kind of had a year just playing park footy, which my local club happened to be the feeder club for the Melbourne Storm. So it worked out really well. Kind of got picked up from there. We don't have a draft or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. um, you can basically choose where you want to go. So um, not that I had too many choices, to be honest, but (laughs) um, yeah, I got picked up from there and and moved down to the, it's called the under-20s program. Um, There used to be a national national competition where each NRL club would have another 20s team and yeah, went down there for the first two years and yeah, such an amazing city and, and club to, I was lucky to fall into. Well, Storm are incredibly successful when you look at their history. I guess it would have been a little bit of a baptism of fire walking into such a professional um, club. Maybe you can speak about what it was like your first couple of years in the program. Yeah, it's pretty tough to be honest. It's um, they do a variety of things there at the Storm. Um, Craig Bellamy's a bit of an old schooler. He's he's very big on, I suppose, um, appreciating the wonderful lifestyle we have as professional athletes. So um, he starts off with a work program. So I think for about two weeks you go and labour on job sites and and oh. you do your weights. You come and do your weights. That um, you start at five a.m. Uh, then you finish by seven thirty. Then you're offered a job site and you work about eight or nine hours. Um, and the, you know, you're going to job sites where the builder knows he's got this free heavy lifting labour that he can just abuse for two weeks. So we we're doing house demos, picking up slabs of concrete, real, real glamorous stuff. And then uh, we'd come back to Amy Park in the afternoon and, and train at five thirty to about seven thirty, and then you'd go home, try and get a bit of dinner, and you do that two weeks straight. So it's a real, it really does make you appreciate the lifestyle you have mm-hmm. once the work program's over. Um, and then obviously we, the, every player in first year and first grade has to do the I Don't Quit camp, um, which I think made a bit famous from the Adelaide Crows 
their, uh, you know, the year after they lost the grand final, I think that all blew up on them. But yeah, we do uh, pretty much the same program uh, every year where it's kind of three days of really tough physical, um, kind of lose lose your name, you, yeah, you're kind of blue two or red four and they take you out to long and you don't sleep and, um, you know, you do these long walks and you have to do jigsaw puzzles, holding bars and sleep deprivation. It's, it's, yeah, it's all happening, but it's a bit of a camaraderie once you finish it and, and you know um, that you can get through that. You can, nothing that happens on the field will really scare you. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we've had a variety of different team bonding camps over the years and I do remember there was um, some press about Storm walking all the way out from Amy Park to the 1,000 Steps in Denver yeah. a couple of years ago. I was like, that is 40 or 50 kilometres. That is that is getting up there in terms of uh, walking distances. My I, my blisters would not cope with a situation like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and rugby league players, we're not, we're not built for endurance either like those AFL boys we were um, – very much start-stop guys. So, yeah, a few of the boys have battled over the years doing that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess across your career with Storm, it's been there's been some ups and downs. I know you've obviously been studying the time whilst you've been at Storm, which I think is really incredible given the demands that's put on you as a fully professional athlete, you know, as netballers, most of us study because um, – we either need to supplement our income or because the schedules that we have allow us to pursue that. Um, but you've had a few injuries across your career and that is probably one of the real serious things that happens when you play professional sport and can be, you know, career ending or really cause roadblocks. You've had two ACLs, um, which is a very common injury in netball as it is in lots of professional sports. Um, how did you find, I guess, coping with number one, um, enduring a serious injury, and then number two, the rehab um, to get back out on the field? Yeah, firstly, just seeing you guys on on netball court, stopping on a dime and that, like it, it makes me a bit sick on the stomach. To be honest, with my history of doing knees, I don't know how you guys do it. It's a lot of respect. Um, but yeah, sadly, I've done left and right ACLs, and just keeping it even. Um, What's up? Just keeping it even, one on each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Symmetrical, we like to call it. Um, but, yeah, I, I suppose when I did my first one, um, I've been in the NRL a little bit in 2016. We played in a losing grand final. Uh, and then 2017, we were on top of the ladder uh, and had a good chance to to make up for the last year. And then I did make sale and the team went on to win it. Uh, and then come back in 2018 and... We're on top ladder again. In round 20, I did my ACL on my other side. Uh, and then 2019, I come back from that and thought, here we go. We're in a grand final. This is finally my year. And then we lose that one. Um, so it was a bit of a tough couple of years, even though we had a lot of success. Never really got the premiership um, in that period. But uh, I think firstly, when I went in to see the surgeon at Richmond there, Julian Fellow, who does a fair bit of the sport, um, and I was kind of thinking, oh, how tough's my life, you know? You know, I've done ACL, this sucks and all that. And then you kind of go in and you you see people with permanent disabilities or permanent illness or, you know, life-threatening stuff and kind of makes you – I think perspective is a big thing I've used over the years with my injuries is, I suppose, understanding my situation compared to others and I suppose how grateful I, I still am. You know, I, I didn't have to go work on the tools for eight hours a day. I, you know, I could get – amazing physio and treatment from our health staff and rehab and I didn't have to worry about providing I suppose 
for my family, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's all perspective and I think travel also helps with that. I went to Uganda a couple of years ago and, um, you know, just seeing the, how tough people are doing it in the real world, I suppose, makes you, I suppose, stay pretty positive, I think, with, uh, you know, my injuries. It's definitely an amazing way to see your circumstances, which I guess in the context of professional sport, some would say would be pretty disheartening. But I guess being able to see the bigger picture is a really great mindset to have. And I guess last year when you won up in the hub after all of those setbacks and not being able to clinch or participate in a premiership game, that just must have been so gratifying given the last few years that you've experienced. Yeah, that was it was so fulfilling, and um, it's kind of it's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? That like, how bad was twenty twenty? Um, you know, people say that all the time, but I kind of sit back and go, it was probably the best year of my life, to be honest. And <laughs> mine too, um, really. <laughs> you know, when, yeah, and you guys won it as well. So um, it was just such a surreal year. You know, you're in the hub life, you're away from home, but you know, it, it's what you make of it. I know it's tough, but um, you know, we, we still had such a great time. We're up at sunny coast. Um, hanging around with all your best mates every day, playing footy still. You know, we we're still very privileged that we'll still be able to continue on playing. And, um, yeah, obviously back home in Melbourne was, was going pretty poorly, but it was great to be able to deliver a bit of joy, I suppose, every um, weekend for about 80 minutes. Our, our amazing Storm fans would, would be able to tune in and, and generally see a, a pretty good game. Yeah, it definitely boosted people's spirits down in Victoria last year, having I guess so much sport on television that, you know, the seasons were condensed and I guess then being able to get on board with Victorian teams that were successful in a variety of different leagues. I know you talk about netball making you feel a bit ill, but when I watch some of the rugby games, oh my God, you guys run full ball 100% just straight into a group of guys that are just waiting to tackle. That makes me, I think, feel a bit ill coming <laughs> from a traditionally non-contact sport. I guess, you know, rugby is just, you have to be so fearless when you go out there on the field. You know, I know that there've been quite a few athletes um, that have suffered from serious concussions and, you know, you put your body on the line every single time you're out there representing either your state or the storm. What is your mindset like when you're just standing out there getting ready to get psyched up um, to play a game of rugby league? Yeah, look, I I think it's all relative, to be honest. I think... You know, as I said about seeing you guys kind of on the hardwood, stepping, uh, stopping on a dime, you know, like I feel uncomfortable seeing that. I watch AFL a fair bit, seeing a guy standing underneath a a ball coming in, knowing a guy's going to come in and throw his body into him, you know, from 360 degrees. And, you know, I love cricket as well. I like how those guys can bat when a bowler's going to bounce a ball at their their head at 140 kilometres an hour. Like, I think every sport's got a bit of, uh, I suppose, braveness or whatever you want to call it. But um, I suppose it's just what you're used to. And, um, you know, it is a physical sport, but at least you get to see where you're going to get hit from in rugby league. It's generally right in front of you. So, um, but yeah, look, I think concussions, they, they've made really good strides. I think getting rid of the stigma of trying to play through, I certainly know I've had a few over my time. And um, yeah, if I, if I ever feel like I'm, I've got a knock on I'm not going to be trying to be a hero and play for it. Because I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard for rugby league players because we're not the smartest bunch. But oh, don't say that. Players are starting to, 
players are starting to understand that your career is such a short period of your life. You know, if you get to 30, that's a great career. And, mm. um, you know, you get the rest of your life to live, that's so much more important than, than a game of footy. Yeah, I guess it's really putting in perspective the long-term effects that concussion can have, especially on, um, I guess, you know, only the research is being done now on people who had experienced things like that, you know, 30 years ago. So they're definitely taking big steps forward and hopefully that continues to protect athletes on field and break down that stigma like you were talking about. You were just talking about how you like cricket and I know you've obviously played hockey historically. I did have a little birdie tell me that you might be also a keen golfer. Is that something you uh, tend to pursue um, away from rugby too? Just having a, having a, <laughs> having a hit. Yeah, I, I love playing golf, but it's just golf's so frustrating because my ability doesn't match my ego. Oh, and I play, <laughs> I play a lot with a guy like Karen Munster and he's one of my best mates, but the fact he always beats me, it just grinds me up so bad. But it's a great game. It's great to get outside. Um, well, sometimes in Melbourne, you know what the weather's like there. No, I recently acquired some clubs and it has been a real blow uh, to my Have self-esteem. You for a hit. Yeah, I just um, – it's one of those things where you think – you watch it and you go, well, that looks – doesn't look easy, but it looks like I can do that. You know, I can. I play professional sport, and then you get there, and I'm like, oh gosh, I've um, been going down to the driving range, and I, you know, I get a hundred, hundred balls, but I probably get about two hundred uh, swings in, uh, given my success. <laughs> Lots of fresh air, uh, just doing some practice drives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a funny thing at the storm. There's a fair few guys who like playing golf, Pappenhausen, and he likes playing. And whether it's a good thing or not, I don't know, but. I generally generally get more excited when one of those boys has a poor shot than, than I have a good shot. I don't know. It's a bit weird, but um, it's always pretty competitive. competitive. We're, all, we're all pretty hacked, but um, yeah, it's good to get outside. Always, always competitive. I guess other things you're pursuing away from the rugby field, we were just um, talking off mic before about how we both have commerce degrees, which is just a bonding fact that we managed to make it through. Ooh, let's go. I know. Graduates. Woo. And we're both doing post-grad <laughs> now. Um, what are you doing yeah. for your post-grad degree? Uh, yeah, I'm doing my MBA. Um, wow. So, yeah, just kind of keep on studying up. But, um, yeah, look, obviously I've got to focus on after footy, but it's also, I think, helps you perform better. Um, I think the more balance you have in your life, I think, I, I kind of look at it as investing in the stock market. If you put all your funds in just the one share, um, you're exposing mm. yourself to a lot of risk and a lot of volatility if we're using commerce talk. Um, whereas if you, you know, spread your investment out on multiple things, have a good balance with life and family and friends and, and have a, um, a focus on knowing what you want to do after footy. When you have a thing like a ACL or a setback or getting dropped or something, um, you know, you're not just wholly reliant on that, I suppose. And I think it, it helps with the mindset. Yeah, you've got to you've got to diversify. I have a I have a theory. Diversify, there we go. My friends always joke about because obviously I'm I'm not sure if do you follow the AFL at all? Do you have a team you support? Yeah. Mighty Demons, mighty and since 2012, so don't don't get on the bandwagon. The mighty Thank you. Well, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a closeted bandwagoner. It's not even that closeted, actually. I'm a public bandwagoner. I'm a Bombers fan through and through. My most of my family barrack for Essendon, which is a bit unfortunate, but they are playing a little bit better um, this year. But I've also just you yeah, know, they're playing the kids. I they're know, on the up. They're on the up. But I think about my AFL 
supporters as I just diversify. I also barrack for the Bulldogs. Um, last oh, year when we were in the uh, hub, I was barracking for Richmond. You know, if I if I diversify, uh, <laughs> I'm always going to be, there's always going to be one team at least that's winning. No, <laughs> no that's terrible. I'm off it. It actually is. It's really poor form. The amount of different <laughs> AFL club scarves I own puts me to shame as a Melbourneian as well because you know how, you know, they're just so proud about the supporting one club and I'm just like, I'll just swap over scarves. It's okay. Uh, how does it work in country Victoria? Is there like, is it, is it a dominant team in the area you grow up or is it just pick, pick whoever? Oh, I, look, the Bright Mountain Men are my local footy team and there's a netball team. They're called the Mountain Maids, which is a name I absolutely detest, but that's a different The Mountain Maids, let's go. <laughs> the Mountain Maids. Uh, we have a few ex-bombers that are actually playing with us at the moment. I think if you have like John Longmire, who is the Sydney Swans coach, he is yep. from Corowa. So I think like if you, uh, like years ago, if there were, um, you know, particular players that came from uh, different areas and I know like there's lots of uh, Saints supporters down in Tassie because the Revolt boys are from there. So when Nick was yep. Yep. Um, playing in his early years and Tassie didn't really have an affiliation with any clubs, there were lots of Saints supporters in Hobart. So it's kind of an interesting okay. dynamic. So I think it sort of depends, but um, I'm an Essendon supporter because my grandfather uh, grew up on that side of town, just around the corner from Windy Hill. So since then, right. we've just been on it, even though I've only been to Windy Hill once or twice in my life. But that's okay. <laughs> okay. That's all right. Um, so I guess you're, once you're doing your MBA, do you have an interest about um, or a thought about what you were hoping to pursue after your rugby career? Yeah, I'd, um, I'd love to stay involved with sport. I just, um, you know, having come through the grassroots and, and then seeing at the professional level, um, I just just love the dynamic. I love being a part of it. And then, um, yeah, I'd love to be involved at a club or, or a governing body level one day. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how we go. Interesting. I'm definitely... Um have thought about pursuing a career in sport after playing. Guess you you already have those strong ties and you get incredible insight as an athlete as to how clubs and community sport works. There's definitely a lot of crossover between the two. I know you're also very interested in the commercial side of sport, which is something I'm also very passionate about. I'm part of, I'm actually president of the Netball Australia Players Association. Ooh, oh, I know, I know. It's been super, super big deal for me. You know, I, I ran unopposed, so it was my, oh. my election campaign was super successful that no one else even Sounds wanted. Real democratic, hey? No one else even wanted to put their hand up. Um, so, because I was just that <laughs> dominant. <laughs> but I guess something we were talking about before was, you know, the broadcast agreements in sport and how that ties. And there's definitely been a lot of growth and development in that area. I've got some interesting facts from Deakin University here about how traditional media companies have partnered up with streaming services now. So I know with Rugby Australia have recently signed a deal with Nine and Stand, which is for Rugby Union rather than Rugby League. And Netball Australia have signed an agreement with Foxtel and KO for the next few years. Um, I pulled a tweet out um, after stalking you on social media 
as I do for all of my guests, don't feel too special. Um, <laughs> and you were talking about the drop-off in viewership from the main Channel 9 channel um, to 9 Gem, which is something that Netball has experienced whilst they've been with Channel 9 that the games get moved. And um, you, to quote you back to yourself, you said, surely if you've invested in this sport, you'd want to give it every chance of growing its audience on free-to-air. Or does Ninja Warrior really outrate? Um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on this? I'm, I think it's a really good point. You, you think if you, um, are talking about growing the game, you'd be wanting to give it every single chance to get the biggest audience possible. And that would be putting it on the main channel rather than one of their subsidiary subsidiaries. Oh, that's a hard word to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't, um, I'm hoping Deakin University, quick shout out, has uh, some statistics for us. But I guess what the motivation is for those companies, like do they, are they, you know, like Ninja Warrior, like how much of an asset is that to their station? I I, I just would have thought live sport would be, so it would be gold for those free-to-air broadcasters who are, I don't know, feel like they're getting smashed by all these streaming services and Netflix, the emergence of all that. Um, So, yeah, I, I find it interesting they're putting it on gem and that, but um, yeah, I, I don't have the statistics. I don't really know. Well, I guess that AFL, NRL, and cricket have been the long-term leaders when you think about, I guess, big paydays for sports and broadcast agreements. Deacon has said that tennis is one of the quieter achievers with three hundred million over five years. Um, which is pretty impressive, but you and I both know how big the Oz Open and other Grand Slams are in Australia. I feel like um, you obviously have played in underage sport and that's sort of like a small, smaller niche that I find really interesting because those games have been streamed for quite a few years now. Like our state league in Victoria, there's a game that's streamed live every week so people can tune in and I'm really interested or curious about whether that will be where we see growth. Cause I know that rugby and rugby, rugby league and rugby union are just so popular, um, you know, with the NRL schoolboys and also underage competitions. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'm, I'm also interested to see, they've always talked about the, the pay-per-view, um, you know, instead of signing up for streaming, you know, whether I, I think the NBA have sampled with it, whether you pay, you know, a few dollars to watch the last quarter of an NBA game or um, I suppose whether governing bodies have the uh, provided, I suppose, to, to move to that model and move away from a fixed, you know, income from mm. um, a broadcast and whether they want to produce their own content. Like I think baseball do it in America and, and sell it directly to consumers. So obviously there's a lot of risk in that, but um, there must wow. be some merit to it as well. Yeah, there, there must be some profit if they're putting, you know, they're investing in the streaming themselves rather than using a platform to deliver that content for their audience. It's just the, um, you know, those dividing lines between free-to-air and streaming platforms have just become incredibly blurred since, you know, a few mergers of those traditional uh, TV stations with the streaming services. I'm not sure if you are completely aware about what our broadcast deal looks like next year. So we've always had uh, two games that have been on free-to-air and two games that have been streamed, and that was on Telstra TV. Next year, um, we've got a deal or ongoing with Foxtel and KO, uh, but two of the games will be available on KO Freebies, which is still yeah, free that. to air, 
uh, but it's obviously in a different format, um, which I'm actually still feeling very positive about. There was lots of negative feedback about, I guess, moving away from turning on the TV and being able to see netball. But as you referenced before, like a lot of our games um, were potentially pushed to nine gem anyway. Uh, so there was always, you know, you do have to search for it if it wasn't on the main channel nine um, streaming service. But I think it's going to be really cool, especially to see how it works for rugby union and their progression on Stan and it just, you know, you and I are youngish, young, and we're definitely mm. the target audience when it comes to sports streaming. My view is on it that they're trying to broaden their audience to people that already stream sport for netball. So there's already lots of people that have KO, whether it's for the AFL. I've got so many friends that have it for the Formula One after getting obsessed with Drive to Survive. And I feel like if we can pull people across from those sports to watch on KO freebies, that would be a larger audience than people who might be just flicking through the channels and would stop on channel nine. Yeah, I think, I think if you're starting with, you know, with the biggest streaming, I suppose, sports service, and then, you know, the likelihood that they are interested in watching a netball game is probably a lot higher than, you know, the non-sporty type of people who are just browsing, I suppose. That'll be, yeah, hopefully it goes really well. And I just think it's really important to have that, yeah, that free exposure where it's not hidden behind a paywall. And um, I think the interesting one is uh, football because they've basically, they've gone with 10 and Paramount Plus, I think it's called. But um, obviously the the global game is the Champions League, English Premier League. They're all splintered up. So I think there's three or four different providers showing all different competitions. And and obviously A-League's popular here, but people love their English soccer. They love their Champions League. So... I think it's getting quite costly for the average football fan to have to sign up for about four or five different streaming services. Mm. Uh, yeah, I unfortunately don't follow football, though I did um, tune in to part of the – unfortunately, it's not coming home, Euro 2020. It's going to Rome. It's going to Rome. It's not coming home. That's really – it's sad <laughs> that that rhymes, doesn't it? <laughs> poor, poor England. I'm sure they'll get another chance eventually. Um, I don't want to step on too many toes, but I feel like it would be um, a missed opportunity for me to potentially discuss uh, some of the NRL player behaviour that has been in the press the last few weeks. I was talking, I was doing an interview last week and I have a, because, you know, they always say that netballs are very well behaved and et cetera. And I do have a theory on that in terms of how, um, I know rugby is very competitive, but I feel like in netball, there's so many rules in the sport to begin with. You know, there's, you can only do, you know, can only be three feet away and do this and do that, that from a young age, it kind of teaches you to be quite obedient, uh, in terms yeah, of following I the rules. Comment, yeah. yeah. And then, um, I know most sports are very competitive, but with netball, you know, they tend not to potentially excuse poor behavior that if you're younger and you're maybe not up to scratch, you just don't get selected because there's, you know, three other girls that would put their hand up for that spot. I know it's pretty difficult probably talking about it going into origin, but um, that you did have a teammate that broke some of the rules recently. And also that big party that the Dragons players had a couple of weeks ago. Um, Obviously, if you don't feel comfortable, but I'm just interested in your thoughts and I guess your feelings about what it, you know, means for you and I guess what it does um, for the team dynamics too. Yeah, no, um, yeah, we've had a few, I suppose, 
ill-disciplined. And, and I, I had a breach last year. I had a COVID breach mm-hmm. in the bubble up at Tony Coast. So I, I stuffed up as well. It's just, it's not really good enough. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty selfish behaviour. Um, and, yeah, rugby league seems to always have disciplinary issues, I suppose. And you look at um, particularly female sports, the you know, NRLW players, that we haven't had one issue, you know, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on the board for the RLPA, our Players Association, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it. How do you, oh, more education and more of that, but I, I think you just, it's really tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how to solve it. I don't really yeah. know how to answer it, but you're right. I think it's probably a bit of a sense of entitlement, um, probably a bit of ego, uh, selfishness that they, People, you know, like myself, and I stuffed up. I thought I could get away with it and put myself above. I suppose, you know, in COVID, not only the team, but also, you know, we're under pretty tough government exemptions to travel in and out of the states, and it just puts so much pressure on uh, everyone involved in the game. And then, at the end of the day, it's yeah, we're highly paid athletes, but also there's a bunch of people connected to our game who who need it to survive and mm-hmm. pay their mortgages who aren't on the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, a bit more of a reality check for rugby league players. Yeah. Cause we always seem to be the ones stuffing up compared to other sports, but I, I don't have an answer because yeah. trust me, I'll, I'd try and push it through the LPA if I thought of something good. What, what do you reckon? Heck, do you have any ideas we can? No, I appreciate you being so honest about it. Cause it is sort of a difficult um, thing to, uh, articulate and part of it probably is like the Australian media love sports scandals. So I do think that there's always like a thirst for it in the media too, despite, you know, the individual that might be responsible for it. Um, I'm honestly not sure too. I feel like, you know, there are some serious fines and some consequences for people that do break the rules. And it's just, I guess, about continuing to try and discourage that behavior um, because when I look at some of, like, I think when all of us look at the fines for the players that hosted that party last week, like that blows my mind. It's nearly part of the entire netball salary cap. And if, you know, if that yeah. amount of money isn't enough to stop that from happening, you sort of think like, what else, what else can the league do, um, to, to stop it? Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think doubling or tripling the fines is going to solve no. it. You know, if that's not a deterrent, um, which it obviously isn't because we've been, yeah, everyone knows how much players are getting fined over the years and yeah, we're still having indiscretions, which, yeah, it's it's not good. It's, no. Yeah, rugby yeah. league, we're, <laughs> we love it. I don't know, but we just love stuffing up and doing oh. stupid shit, basically. <laughs> well, and you're also in the spotlight too. And, you know, when people are in the spotlight from a young age, you never get the space to make mistakes that the average person would be able to do with no consequences. And I think, you know, that some potentially would be entitled, but it is a really big pressure to be under. Um, and that does, I think, cloud people's judgment sometimes. So I definitely see it from both sides. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that hopefully with time and with, you know, culture changes, hopefully that type of behaviour will continue to to die out, I guess, as a new generation of athlete 
comes through because you can't just flick a switch and change things overnight. It doesn't it doesn't happen like that? Yeah, look, I I think it's probably too late by the time they get an NRL contract. I think uh, if we're talking more serious, like kind of respectful women and stuff like that, it needs to start a lot earlier mm-hmm. uh, in households or in. And obviously, you know, we spoke about the community and sport, you know, people speaking up if there's derogatory comments, you know, whether it's racial or, uh, you know, you know, related to someone's sexuality or, 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 or a female or um, I think just being outspoken when someone not letting it just, you know, be passed through and, you know, in those important exchanges, I suppose, that happen in lockers and, you know, before a game or having drinks at a bar after, um, I think that's there's big moments there we need to call it out and um yeah well I think you are an amazing community leader and doing a wealth of work on behalf of the rugby community and also just being a massive advocate for your teammates and issues you really care about so thank you so much for joining me on finding your feels best of luck for the final origin game um I guess I normally ask everyone uh just what has been their sporting highlight over their career to date so maybe you can just finish with um what's been one of the best moments you've been able to experience throughout your rugby career um well my favorite like as a fan would be 2004 hockey olympics when the (sighs) cool foes won on the penalty shootout that's i don't know i was just amazing um yeah yeah Athens. yeah um Probably last year, probably winning the Premiership and then winning the State of Origin Series. It was, yeah, yeah surreal. Just, and I think it was the biggest crowd since COVID. I think they had 50,000 um, at the time. And, um, yeah, it was just, it's an amazing, it's a different beast, that mm-hmm. State of Origin. It's just so emotional. So that was awesome to, obviously, my parents are in Brisbane and I think I, had, yeah. I lost my whole match payment to the amount of tickets we had in the grandstand. <laughs> so, um, the yeah, it was pretty special last year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that I can is. Still hear my mum. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could hear. It's one of those things when you're in a crowded stadium. There could be thousands of people there, but you can always just manage to hear your own supporters above the rest of the crowd. I'm very yeah. excited for the Olympics. I've had a few um, athletes that are going over on the podcast because we train at the VIS. So there's lots of yeah. um, Olympic athletes that come through and I'm so excited. And the hockey as well. I think it's just, it's going to be awesome. I'm just going to be glued to the TV for the next two weeks, I think. It's going to be bizarre, but I can't wait. I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, we'll have to, I'm wondering if they're going to have fake crowd noise like they've had at games over here. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be weird. Well, we're going to get some funny uh, mic moments, I think, from the athletes competing. If, if there's not, it's going to pick up a fair bit, I think. The, um, I had Rowie Webster on the other day. and She's the captain of the Australian water polo team and she said that she's actually quite looking Ooh. forward to being able to hear her coach during a game telling them what to do. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I would be interested in hearing what Simone, our coach, was saying on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. My coach is a madman as well. But um, those water polo people, they're, they're not all right. They are tapped. Um, it's a savage sport, that one. Oh, all under the water. It really like she must is. Be tough. Oh, it, it, she is. She is. She trains like a beast in the gym. She's so impressive. So hopefully you can spot her on the TV. But I'll let you go and continue your preparations for the last Origin game. Good luck and thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having fun, Joe. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to episode six of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. Just like me, you can study at Deakin University. I'm currently enrolled in a Master of Communications, which I'm absolutely loving. Just like the Vixens, Deakin University is fearless in its approach to learning, which is why every single course is backed by industry experts. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning.